Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Morning, church. Good to be with you, Niwad Campus, Fred Campus. Thanks for hanging out with us and everybody who's with us online. Thanks for spending an hour of your, of your Sunday morning, your Super Bowl uh, Sunday. And um, hey, hang with us to the end. I'm going to give you my prediction for the Super Bowl. The Lord told me the score, okay? So you just hang out. And uh, at the end of service, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that. He gave me a dream. It was in color. So that's how you know it's from God. So anyways, I'll give you that at the end. Um, but I was thinking this week, in light of the message and the topic we're talking about, I was reminded of something um, that I've, I've witnessed over the years. Um, and it, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thought, it's an idea that, that if you do this, you will make money. You will be guaranteed to make money. And so if you need some money, get your pen out, all right, write this idea down. Um, and, and it has to do with this idea of writing a book, okay? Now, um, you could write books and, you know, it doesn't mean your book's going to get sold. But if you write the kind of book I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you it's a great idea, okay? If you do write the book kind of book that I'm talking about, you are guaranteed to make money. And here's the idea, okay? If you write a book this year, doesn't even matter if you're an author or not, if you just write a book this year that has everything to do, all right, the premise of the book is is that you have come up with some kind of formula or idea that if the people read your book and they follow it, God will do exactly what you want him to do. That's the idea. That's the premise for the book. Now, I'm not saying that's biblical, but you will make money, okay? Because people love these books. They love these books. All you got to do is come up with a cool title and write a book and say, hey, you know, I was in these verses, I saw this verse, and if you say these words this way, or if you wait till like Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. because the moon and the sun is here, and then, then you say it, God will do it. I mean, if you can just figure out a way that we can get God to do our bidding, and you write that in a book, I mean, people will love your book. I was even thinking about some cool titles this week. Come on, some of you take your pen out. You got to write this down. You write this book. You just give 10% back to the church. I'm good with it. Okay. So here's a couple titles that I think that they're pretty catchy. Um, here, here's the first title I came up with. You could call your book Holy Hotline. Okay. Here's the tag, how to get God to respond to your texts. You know what I'm saying? It's for the millennials. Okay, here's another one. You could call your book this. The, again, take it, take it, take it. The Miracle Whisperer, you know? Ooh. Here's a tagline. A guide to bending God's ear. Yeah. Okay, here's a third one. This is more for my Catholic friends, okay? You could, you could entitle your book this. Hail Marys and Hallelujahs. Here's the tag. A quest for divine intervention. I'm telling you. In fact, in the context of all of our spiritual formation, our journey with Jesus there, there are some traps and temptations that, that kind of lead us to this idea of as we have entered into this relationship with God, what do I get out of it? What, what's, what's in it for me? I know this is true. I, I, I struggle with this. I'm sure you do too. And when I meet with people from, you know, all different, you know, backgrounds and, and they, you know, all, grew up all different places. And here's what I know to be true, that in the midst of life and the tensions of life and the anxieties and worries and fears, we, we, we can so easily get to this place where we go, God, what, why don't you do what I think you should do? Why don't you do what I want you to do? And I meet with people and they'll be sharing their, you know, their struggles and, and essentially in the midst of these kind of conversations, really what the person is saying is, you know, Matt, what, you know, when it comes to God, what about me? What do 
about me? Or, or you know, what, what, what do I, what do I get out of this? Why isn't God doing what, what I think he should do? And then, and then, you know, we've been working through the book of John over the last couple of weeks as we're leading into Easter. And if John was here, which would be really cool, he's not, but if he was here, Right, he, he was a follower in the first century and he was a disciple of Jesus. I mean, he was there almost from the beginning. If John was here, right, and we were just kind of having this conversation out loud, maybe you and I are having coffee and we're talking about the tensions of life and why doesn't God do what we think he should do? If John walked in, John would go, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you guys talking about? Well, you know, John, we're just talking about this, this tension that life doesn't always go the way that we think it should and... And John, honestly, we're, we're, we're wrestling with, you know, what do we get out of this? I mean, we've entered into this relationship, but, you know, how is this better for us in this journey with God? And John would lean in. You see this all throughout his gospel. John would, would lean in, and, and he would say to you and to me, no, 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 listen, uh, God has given you everything you need and we'd go, I don't know about that, John. We're talking about this need right here that, that God has not provided. And he goes, no, 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 come on. You're thinking too small. You got to think a lot bigger. bigger. God has given you everything you need because God has given you himself. And for John, and that was a profound idea. For the first followers of Jesus, that was a profound idea. And for followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, it would seem... That was enough. And yet that truth, that, that idea, that we can talk about it, we can sing about it, we can even think about it, but here's what I've realized even in my own life, that that thought doesn't kind of go from my mind to, to my heart, or the depth of my soul. I get stuck. I get stuck in conversations that I think Jesus would say, no, come on, Matt, you're thinking too small. This is so much bigger. You've been invited into something much larger than what you're talking about. And I promise you, if you would engage with this idea or if you would allow that thought to wow you a little bit, wow, Jesus has given us himself. If, if you would allow that to permeate in your soul, it will begin to change all areas of your life. We're in this series entitled Jesus, Who Is He? We're on a journey just to kind of get to know him a little bit more. Again, John is the guy who's, who's writing his gospel. And John says to you and me um, that he doesn't want you to just have blind faith. John isn't just writing to you and saying, you should believe because I said so. No, no. John is saying to you, he's saying, look, I've seen some things that I can't unsee. And I've heard some things I can't unhear. And so I want to tell you what I've seen. I want to tell you what I've heard in hopes that you might believe what I believe, because this is an unbelievable story. A guy who claims to be the son of God, John, John is with you and he goes, no, I know this is crazy, but I believe John's prayer for you would be that he would say, look, I know you weren't there, but I was there. I know you didn't see it, I know you didn't hear, but I did. And he is hoping that you in some way through his words would be able to see what he sees, that you would be able to hear what he heard. And so John organizes his whole gospel, his whole story about Jesus around these these miracles that he, he doesn't call miracles, he calls them signs. These events, these seven signs. In fact, John gets to the end of his gospel and he tells us, there's a lot more I could have told you. There's a lot more miracles, but I just really wanted to focus in on what I thought were the most important things for you to know. 
So he writes around these signs and hoping that you would not be enamored by the sign itself. It's why he doesn't call it a miracle. He calls it a sign because the sign points us in a direction. John says, listen, the sign wasn't the point. The sign was there that it, so that you would look at or look towards something or even more specifically some body. And the tension with the miracles of Jesus is that sometimes we can get so caught up in the miracle, we forget about the one who performed it. And John is very cautious here. He goes, no, 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 I I wanna tell you about the miracle. I wanna tell you about the sign, but I wanna talk about more specifically about what or where the sign points to. So it's the sign we're talking about today. In your Bibles, it, it might be entirely the same. In, in my Bible, the sign is called Jesus Feeds the 5,000. Maybe one of the most famous miracles or signs that Jesus performs in the gospel. And the story starts out with Jesus. He, him and his disciples, they head out of Jerusalem and they go on a trek for about six or seven days to the Sea of Galilee. When they get there, they get on the boat and they go to the northern part of the sea. So they're hanging out there on the northern shore. They're about 100 miles away from Jerusalem. The reason why we we find out that they kind of went on this journey is because it's been a busy season of ministry. And Jesus has just received the news that, that John the Baptist, one of his great friends, has died. He was martyred for the faith. He was beheaded. So we get this sense that Jesus is in a little bit of mourning He needs some quiet time away. So him and the disciples, they go on this journey to get a break from the crowd. So he goes to this very remote part of the country, but word spreads about where he is. This is John chapter six, starting in verse one. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw, now look at this, they saw the signs. They saw the signs. They were seeing things that you just could not unsee. They saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. So again, imagine this. This is very real life. These are real people. Jesus and his disciples have gone out of their way. They've gone on a week trip to get away from the crowd. And in spite of that, we're about to find out. Here come thousands of people. And the crowd has come because they have seen the signs that Jesus has performed. And John says, specifically, they have seen or they've heard stories about Jesus healing the sick. So my guess is this crowd has shown up because either they themselves are sick or they brought a family member with them who is sick and they are hoping that potentially they could get close enough to Jesus that just maybe they could receive a miracle. And it says this, verse three, then Jesus sees the crowd coming. He goes up on a mountainside and he sits down with his disciples. (laughs) I wonder if it's just like, woof. I thought we were gonna get a break, but maybe not. And then John gives us this interesting verse here, verse four, just kind of out of nowhere. John says, okay, so Jesus saw the crowd. He goes up on the mountainside. He sits down with his disciples. And look at verse four. Then he says, the Jewish Passover festival was near. And why does John throw that in there? Well, Passover was the Jewish celebration of celebrating God delivering the Israelites from the nation of Egypt. This is an Old Testament story. This is when God sent Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And essentially in the process for all these plagues, Egypt is destroyed. In the first century, Passover was this reminder, it's an annual reminder to the Israelites that they needed essentially another Moses 
They were going to need somebody to come along that would kind of galvanize God's people. And what they were thinking was would eventually throw the Romans off of their land. So John just puts this right here in verse 4. He goes, and just, just so you know, we're getting close to Passover. We're getting close to remembering how God has delivered us out of bondage. Story continues, verse 5. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him... Here's what I think Jesus knows. This crowd is kind of like us sometimes. They wanted something from him. This crowd was more enamored with the signs that Jesus was performing than potentially they were with the person who the signs we're pointing at. This is very interesting. This is the humanity of Jesus right here. I love the reality of this. The disciples are tired. Jesus is tired. He's sitting up on the mountainside. You can just imagine these are thousands of people that are ascending to where Jesus is. Jesus is sitting down with the disciples. He looks out. He sees all these people coming. And then the verse continues. He looks over at Philip and he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? <laughs> How are we going to feed all these people? Now, the reason why he potentially asked Philip, because we know that Philip is from this area. It would be like if we were, you know, back in your hometown and I called you up and I said, you're from here, right? Where's a good place to eat? So Jesus looks over knowing that this is supposed to be a break. This is supposed to be a retreat. This is supposed to bring some relief. Sees all these people coming towards him, looks over at Philip and goes, hey, buddy, how are we going to feed these people? Then we know this, verse 6, Jesus asked only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So it's important to know that in the midst of this story, nobody at this point is planning to feed anybody. Nobody. None of the disciples hanging around Jesus were thinking the thing that Jesus was thinking. They're not concerned about feeding these people at all, because feeding people was never part of the conversation, apparently, until right now. I mean, as far as the disciples are concerned, this is just another day. This is another crowd who want to get close to Jesus, want to do something for them. Meanwhile, they're dealing with the tension of they thought they were getting a break. And all of a sudden, we have thousands of people converging on this field. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, what do you think? How are we going to feed, you know? How are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? Now look at Philip's response to the test, verse 7. And Philip answered him, Jesus, this is a great idea. This is a great idea, Jesus. I am more than happy to sacrifice what I have and serve to help feed the crowd. That's not what Philip said. That's not what Philip said. If he was going to pass the test, maybe that's what he should have said, but that's not what he said because that would have been real life. And if you were there, you wouldn't have said that either. Look what Philip says. He pushes back against Jesus. Verse 7, Philip goes, it would take more. Jesus, come on. You know how much money that would cost? It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one, for each person here to even just have a bite. Translated, Jesus, the answer to your question is nowhere. There's nowhere we can go. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money. And while this conversation is happening between Philip and Jesus, apparently Andrew, another one of the disciples, is getting, you know, he is feeling this tension of, man, we, now we're on the hook to feed these people. So what are we going to do? Verse eight, and another one of the disciples, Andrew, spoke up. 
So he must be out in the crowd. He's looking around again. This is thousands of people. And he finds a boy. Verse 9, he says to Jesus, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And you weren't there and I wasn't there either. But, you know, as this is happening, only a few people are really understanding the conversation about feeding potentially thousands of people. And Andrew hears it. And Philip got the test wrong. And so he goes out into the crowd. He apparently finds a boy who's got a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. You know, and he says to the boy, hey, would you give me, you know, your fish and bread to which I think, you know, most elementary kids would say, no, no. Now his mom's right beside him, right? And his mom's like, well, hang on, why do you want it? And Andrew goes, well, look, I was, I was over here in conversation with Jesus and, and he is really trying to feed the crowd. So I was just kind of looking out the crowd and I saw your son and here's the deal. If he gives me his bread and fish, I'll let your son meet Jesus. And then she's like, well, go then, go. So again, thousands of people, Andrew brings this little boy to Jesus in the midst of the conversation with Philip and says to Jesus, look, Jesus, there's all these people here and I, I just kind of looked out the crowd real quick and I have this little boy. He's got a little bit of fish and he's got a little bit of bread. And I don't know the tone. I don't know the tone of, of Philip. I don't know the tone of Andrew. I wonder if it just feels defeated and overwhelmed. Or potentially they might even be a little sarcastic like Jesus, is that really, really what you want to do? Okay, well, here's a couple pieces of bread. Here's some fish. We don't know. In verse 10, Jesus says, in receiving the bread and the fish, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. And now look at this. This is also very interesting. John gives us a little foreshadowing for what is to come. John says, and just so you know, there's about 5,000 men who were there. Now the question would be, why did John only give a head count of men? How come he didn't give us the counts of, of women and children? I've heard people talk about this before. And there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting ideas to, to why John only gives us the count of men. But I think if John was here, he, he would push back and he'd go, no, no, come on. I'm not, I, I didn't give you the count of men to make a point that women and children were not important. That wasn't the point I think that John's trying to make here. I wonder, because I know where the story's going, I, I wonder if the reason why John only gives us the count of men is because... That number 5,000, 5,000 men was the equivalent of a fully formed Roman legion. I wonder if he's just letting us in on an idea that's about to rise to the top. He goes, look, there's about 5,000 men and the people who would have been reading this a couple thousand years ago probably would have associated that with, wow, he had a Roman legion. That's not nothing. That is, that is something. Biblical scholars, some estimate there could have been as many as 20,000 people sitting down on the field that day. And we know that just about all of them have no idea about the conversation that is going on down front with Jesus, his disciples, and this little boy. And then Jesus he does something I'm telling you, if you were there, we would have been losing our minds. We would have thought about unfollowing Jesus because Jesus takes the fish and he takes the bread and he does something wild. Verse 11, and Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they want. And he did the same with the fish. This is craziness. 
Jesus is there. He's got his guys around them. There's just people as far as you can see, potentially up to 20,000 people. Can you imagine? Be like me walking in. And, you know, even this morning with, with the number of people we have here and you guys are like, we're hungry. And I'm like, all right, I'll feed you. And I just go back and I grab a donut, okay? And I come out here with one glazed donut for everybody in here, okay? And I just go, let's pray. And I just bow my head. You'd be looking at me like, this dude is crazy. He's going to, he's, he's blessing the food. There's not going to be enough food. He doesn't give his disciples any more direction. He just takes the bread and the fish and he goes, guys, let's pray for the meal. I, I just wonder how many of those guys have their eyes open and they're looking at each other going, he's lost it now. It's time to go, right? I mean, he's, he's asking us to pray for dinner, for lunch, for Potentially 20,000 people. The brothers got a couple loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Incredible tension here. He goes, come on, let's pray. Let's, let's, let's give thanks. God has provided to which they were thinking, provided what? He's not provided enough. And as sincere as Jesus can be, well, I wonder if he's just having a little fun here. I, I don't know. I just picture Jesus got a little smirk on his face, you know? He's like, boys, let's pray, you know? And he's just watching them slowly bow their heads. And he blesses the food. And then John tells us they start handing the food out. Verse 12, and when they had all, had, had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So we quickly went from not having enough to having too much. We went from this is impossible, it's never going to happen, to we're boxing up leftovers. Verse 14, and after the people saw the sign, because this is a miracle, this is another sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. So they didn't know initially, but eventually it dawned on them as these 20,000 people are eating lunch and they're looking around and going, this would have been impossible. These guys would would have had to been like cooking for months to feed this crowd. And this would have cost a fortune. I didn't see any food trucks show up. They just had these baskets. And the food just kept coming and the crowd begins to go, wow, maybe this guy is somebody. It was a sign. And just for a moment, they got it because the sign was pointing to a person, but the thought did not last long. Verse 15, Jesus knowing that this crowd that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this is why I think John gives us a little bit of the foreshadowing a couple of verses before when he says, hey, you need to know there was 5,000 men there. There was enough men to form a Roman legion. It wasn't nothing. It was something. See, what happens is there's a, there's a sign, there's a miracle, and thousands of people have eaten more than, than they could eat. And the crowd starts to have this buzz. There's a bit of an uprising in the crowd. They begin to think, wow, could this be? Could this be the one we've been waiting for? Could this be the one we have been praying for? Is this the one? Because we have been praying that God would send the one who would overthrow this Roman empire and kick these people off of our land. This guy might be the guy. 
We just saw a sign and it points to that he may be a prophet of God, just like Moses. And so they they start kind of stirring up the ideas and the crowd is getting excited. And somebody says, yeah, 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 we got enough guys here. We've got a legion here. And if we start marching towards Jerusalem, we could probably get even some more guys. And eventually we could storm the gates of Jerusalem and overthrow the city and take our land back. And they start going, do you like that? And they're like, yeah, I like that. Do you like that? I like that. And so there's this uprising that's begin to happen. And Jesus is going, not my plan. That, no, that, that is not what I'm going to do. And they're going, yeah, you are. That's exactly what you're going to do. Because we've just seen you, you know, we, we've heard stories or we've seen you heal people who were sick. And we just watch you feed potentially 20,000 people. So you're going to be the guy. And we got enough guys here. We can do this. Jesus goes, no, 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 that is not my plan. Wrong time. Wrong strategy. Jesus and his disciples will enter Jerusalem the week of Passover, not this one. It'll still be a little bit of time, but they will enter Jerusalem during Passover week. And he will not overthrow Jerusalem as a new king through force. Instead, he'll be crowned with thorns and crucified on a cross. Jesus goes, that's not my plan. Jesus knew their motive, and it had very little to do with who he was, but had everything to do with what they wanted him to do. So he withdraws. He gets out from the crowd, and we know this from some of the other gospel writers who tell us who are also there, he, they say that Jesus gets his 12 disciples on a boat. He puts them on a boat and he says, you need to get to the other side. And he says to them, you get that idea out of your head. That is not what we're about right now. So no, 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 we're not doing that because I imagine they're getting excited because they come from a Jewish background as well. And they're going, heck yeah, this is what we're doing, right? Jesus goes, no, that's not what we're doing. Gets them in the boat, sends them to the other side. The next day, Jesus shows up on the other side with his disciples, and this crowd has followed them around the sea. The crowd has has shown up again. And Jesus, he enters into this conversation right in the middle of John chapter 6, where he begins to call out the crowd. He begins to call them out, and, and when you read the narrative, I think he also calls me out, and he calls you out. He starts calling all of us out, and here's what I mean by that. If you've ever said or heard or, or thought you know, you know, something along the lines of, of anything I'm about to say, if you've ever had this thought, Jesus is calling us out. If you, you've ever heard or thought or heard somebody else say, you know what, here's the deal. I used to serve. I just, I just wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to give, I used to be generous, but I just, here's the thing, I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to go to church, I used to go to service, I used to sit down front, but I just wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to be in a group, I used to do life in the context of community, but I I just, I wasn't getting anything out of it. I've heard this before, I, I gave up on faith. I gave up on God. Because I wasn't getting anything out of it. Gave up on church. I, I just wasn't getting thing out of it. And here's, here's where Jesus is leading this crowd in conversation, where the point that Jesus is about to make is this, is that as long as, as it's about getting something out of it, you still don't understand it. 
He leans into this crowd. John tells us he was there. The crowd finds him. Jesus is now on the other side of the lake and Jesus says to them, the reason, I know why you're here. The reason why you're here is because you want more food. And they don't even lie. They go, yeah, that's exactly. We were on the other side of the sea yesterday and you fed us. And so we're coming back for more food. We're here for the food. Jesus says, no, 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 come on. You're missing the whole point. The conversation is much larger than that. The invitation isn't about getting your bellies full. The invitation is that, is that you, are, you are here talking with God. This is way bigger than some food. This whole deal, Jesus goes, this is a sign so that you might believe. And you know what the crowd says? Well, give us another sign. Do something. Do something again. Feed us again so that we might believe. And then Jesus says this. Again, you guys aren't getting it, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, come on, this is bigger. I am the bread of life. That whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're making this all about the food. This is much bigger than the food. You want to talk about bread? Jesus goes, I am the bread of life. You're so concerned about filling your stomach. I'm talking about filling your soul. You've missed it. You've missed it. You've missed it. This crowd can't see past their stomachs. And they miss it. And then Jesus, we know this a little bit later in, the, in John chapter 6, even leans in with his whole disciples. He leans in with you and me, where he essentially says, are you just in it for the food? You just here for the food? Are you just in this Christian thing for what you can get out of it? Are you just in this Christian thing for what you can get out of me? And Jesus says, if so, you have not come to grips with the one who you, talk, you are talking to. You've missed it. You've missed it. The signs are pointing to me. It's not about the sign. It's about me. And when you read the rest of John 6, on that particular day, John tells us that many people decided to unfollow Jesus. Once they realized there was nothing more in it for them, they walked away. They'd gotten what they had come for. And it's easy to judge those folks, but I think we can also identify with them. They, they had yet to really know the fullness of the story of who Jesus is. And, and they are on the other side of the resurrection. The resurrection hasn't happened yet. Jesus has talked about it. In fact, he will even say to the crowd and his disciples, he will say, I am the resurrection and the life. He calls and predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection and pulls it off. But they didn't know that yet. We do. And in the context of our relationship and their relationship with Jesus, they probably have some more legitimate excuses than we do because we know how the story goes. And that day, here's what Jesus did with the crowd. He goes, listen, you're asking the wrong question. I see the question you keep asking, but it's the wrong one because the question isn't, what do I get out of this? That is not the question. The question is this, do you believe who I am? Do you believe in me? Did you just see what I did? They're going, yeah, we saw you feed thousands of people. 
He goes, yeah, do you believe? And unfortunately that day, potentially thousands of people missed it because they were so enamored. They were so caught up with the need to have breakfast. Men and women standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, spending time with the Son of God. And he wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. For some people, that day, he was nothing more than some magic rabbi. And when the trick was done, they lost interest. But a few of them, a few of them stuck around. In fact, when Jesus has this discussion with his disciples, he says to them, do you wanna go too? Do you wanna leave too? To which Peter speaks up and he actually says something very profound. He goes, where will we go? And also Jesus, nobody else is promising what you're promising. There were a few who realized they were sitting and having a lunch with God. It went from their head to their heart and they quit asking, what do I get? And they started surrendering and asking, what can I give? And they followed them and they didn't know it yet, but in the end, Jesus, the guy who fed thousands of people that day, would eventually give his followers more than they could ever imagine. He would give them himself. And for them, it was enough. It was enough. In the midst of the trials and the hardships, in the midst of being martyred for their faith, I wonder if the early church, in the light of knowing Jesus would say, brothers and sisters, do not forget. We have everything we need. Don't forget. We have everything we need. What about the food? No, come on. Don't forget. We are, we are in relationship with the one who creates food. We have everything we need because he was enough. What would happen in my life? What would happen in your life? What would happen in this church if Jesus was enough? Your heart would change. You would go from being a consumer to a follower. And his followers, not the consumers that day, his followers, not the people who were there for the show, his followers, the ones who got it, the ones who realized, wow, this is God inviting us into something that is far bigger than, it, than we could ever imagine. Listen, it was his followers who Jesus would call to lead his first church and eventually would change the Roman Empire. But it was not through force, friends. It was through a death, burial, and a resurrection in a group of people who no longer said, what do we get? But instead said, what can we give? And it was how they loved each other. 
was how they loved the ones who even were persecuting them. And eventually, even the Roman Empire would say the official religion is Christian. Not because they had to, because they saw something and they heard something that they couldn't forget. A selfish world where a group of people decided to play it different because they were wowed by the one who called them. And he, he was enough. He was enough. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, may we hear the words of John, an incredible story, feeding thousands of people, a sign that we can believe you are who you say you are. We live in the reality of life, filled with hardships and tensions and uncertainties. We don't have all the answers and we don't know what tomorrow brings. And yet John seems to think that we've been given enough. You gave us your son and your son gave us his life. And I pray that that truth would wow us again. How could it be that God could love us this much? Help us to live lives worthy of the gospel that would show that in the midst of difficulty, we have everything we need because the position of Savior is taken. And your church this morning is better off for it. So help us to be worshipers, to worship you in spirit and in truth for who you are. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said...